Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello, Dan Hasler here with you from Cut Through Coaching for what is episode 10 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. Now, if you're involved in education or if you're interested in education, you would have noticed, particularly in Australia and also perhaps the UK at the moment, there's a particular uh, emphasis on really focusing in on the research um, and particularly around the phrase, you know, working out what works um, in, in the classroom. And my guest today is someone who spent a lot of time thinking about um, research in the classroom. In fact, She's actually the Dean of Research and Pedagogy at Wesley College over in Western Australia, and she's also an Honorary Research Associate at Murdoch University. I'm speaking about Dr. Deborah Netalitsky, and I'm really pleased to say that she uh, joins us today to talk about all things research in education. Thanks for having me, Dan. So in the interest of full disclosure, we should say that uh, we've kind of previously worked together in terms of... um, thinking around education and and, uh, sharing our thoughts in that you were one of the editors of Flip the System, a book which I um, contributed or co-authored a chapter with, um, with an educator from Youth Off the Streets. And before we kicked off on on what we're really going to talk about, I I was actually interested just to hear a little bit about how the book Flip the System has been uh, been received by uh, Australian educators. Uh, The reception of it has been fantastic uh, in terms of Educators have, I think, felt like, um, I, I think when we've asked for, when I've read reviews and feedback about the book, it's really come back in a way that is the same as the intention, I suppose. So um, school leaders and teachers are saying that, you know, they feel like um, there are some of those voices from the field being heard and that it's really about um, embracing some of the diversity and also, uh, I suppose, talking back into the international discourse about what really good things are going on in Australian education. Yeah, great. And, and I guess that um, really uh, plays into what we're going to talk about um, a little bit more in depth uh, today, which is around, you know, how do we balance what, you know, the, you know, what's working well in schools with, I guess, what we're told works well in schools, you know, so trying to square the circle of, of practice and what the research says. And I was uh, particularly interested in a um, in a, a blog post that you put out, I think it's a couple of weeks now, where you were talking about ways in which you um, are sharing research in, in your school. I was wondering if you could, before we sort of talk about the, pr- the practical um, aspects of what you're doing and sharing that, but I guess I'm wondering, well, why do you feel you need to do that? Can't teachers just log on and um, check out what the, the latest findings are? Um, I think there's, there's lots in that question, Dan, in terms of, you know, what can and should teachers be doing and what are the, the platforms and pathways for them to do that? Because I think there's, you know, I think part of the thing is that things like data, evidence-based, evidence-informed, research-based, the research says, have become buzzwords in a lot of education circles. So people say those things, but they become kind of meaningless statements and almost every conference or talk or, um, you know, podcast, this one is one of them that you listen to, someone says, oh, well, the research shows that, or, you know, we know that, well, how do we know that? Mm. And so I think part of it is not, it's not as simple as just saying, well, here is what we know works um, because where has it worked? For whom has it worked? Um, what kind of evidence is that based on? 
And so I think there's a, a, a couple of things for me. One is that teachers and those leading in schools have to be really cautious about oversimplified solutions or accepting something because there's an internet meme with a pithy quote or there's in front of them um, who's got 10,000 followers telling them that research says something. So I think there's a sort of cautiousness that's necessary. There's also the notion that, you know, teachers are super time poor and so are school leaders. Um, and so, you know, I do this kind of stuff in my spare time outside of my full-time job most of the time. I mean, it is actually part of my work as well, but a lot of the academic reading and writing that I do is actually, you know, nights, weekends, holidays. Uh, and you can't certainly can't expect teachers and school leaders to choose to do that. Mm. Uh, so a lot of academic research is behind a paywall in journals that need subscriptions or in books that are, you know, upwards of $150, $200 to buy. It's just not really in the, in the um, sphere of what teachers and school leaders can even access, let alone then have time to sort through, read, understand and, and um, think about for themselves. But we shouldn't necessarily just be jumping into, well, some, this worked somewhere, so therefore we should lift that from that context and do it in our own context. So part of it, I think, from my point of view, what I'm advocating for is about the fact that we should also be thinking, okay, this is what's worked here for this, in this scenario, this is what we know, but actually then how does that relate to our context in schools? How can we use our professional judgment to apply or not apply or question or, or think about how this might work for us? So there's lots of stuff going on in that in that realm, I think. Yeah, and I think in fairness to um, people who are conducting research, you know, at the end of each um, publication, there's always any number of... Um, you know, paragraphs dedicated to the limitations of that research and, and you know, things that we should be mindful of, not extrapolating it further, and etc. And yet, typically, as you, I think um, you're alluding to, given that most educators don't necessarily have access to those papers, they get the, what, the saccharine, the, the, the uh, watered-down version of it where these almost silver bullets are, are, are presented as being solutions. Is, is that what you're kind of rallying against? Yeah, so we get the headlines and the sound bites um, version of it, and even things that can be super helpful, like the you know Education Endowment Foundation in the UK and Evidence for Learning in Australia have these you know websites where you for free can access some of the information around research done on teaching and learning. But at the same time, if you only look at the league table version or the front page version, then you don't get that understanding of that, that there are limitations. And I think. In of my role, why do I feel that it's important? Um, I mean, part of my role is around leading professional learning, teaching and learning, and part of that is about, well, you know, how can we draw on what current research is telling us? And so for me, part of my role is actually to make some of that accessible for the people in my school. So here are some things that have come out. Here's the executive summary. Here's some, you know, here's a literature review for the school around, you know, what, what it is that we're currently working on and what, what do we currently know and then how does that link to our context? So um, I guess I'm in some ways like that kind of bridge between the practice and the research for my school in terms of our strategic um, intents and the teaching and learning decisions that we're making because we want to make the best decisions for our students at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And so two questions follow on from that for me as, as I'm hearing you speak is I'm curious as to how you build that bridge. So what, what are some of the ways that you're building that? And the second question um, is how inclined are your colleagues to walk across that bridge? Uh, well, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is that it obviously can't be a one-person game. You know, we, I work in a school with about 150 teachers and almost 500 staff, so it can't be that sort of 
banging the drum and yeah. <laughs> no one else comes behind me, uh, you know, because that's actually not effective. So, so in terms of the ways that I do that, you know, there's a lot of um, liaison, there's a lot of working alongside teachers and there's a lot of building cultures of collaboration and of engaging in research. And, and, in, and so I think about what ways, you know, what are some easy and accessible ways that this then becomes not an add-on for the teachers but a part of their work and something um, that is just part of how we do things around here and that people are supported in and given time and resources to do. So um, the research report I think I, you're talking about that I wrote a blog post about is, is one thing, but um, the thing that I'm finding most exciting, I suppose, in my role is where I'm able to bring groups of teachers together around a common interest, whether that's using technology in the classroom or best, um, what do we know about best practice teaching and learning, uh, and then work together around, okay, well, here's some readings, let's share some practice, let's share some evidence, let's talk about that and and visit each other's classrooms. And so I guess building that really collaborative expertise and the way in which we, we talk about even the data that we collect um, and then how we use that and how that dovetails with research. Um, so for me, it's actually those building of cultures, communities uh, and kind of professional learning, I don't know, hubs and connections between um, teachers that, um, and then also outside the organisation partnerships and so on, that is probably the most exciting way that we can live and breathe in a school. So you're talking about some of those outside collaborations, are you talking about with um, other academic institutions or other schools or people from outside of education? So both, I think, you know, schools can, and we have um, at various times partnered with uh, academics, because for me, this space is actually around that notion of bridging uh, being called a pracademic, um, sort of a practitioner, academic, um, that notion of kind of bridging gaps and, and even the Flip the System book we talked about earlier is actually about stakeholders coming together. So policymakers, consultants, academics, you know, scholars, researchers, but also teachers and school leaders actually talking together rather than separately. Uh, so we have partnered with, you know, academics and universities, but also that um, you know, ability to visit each other in different schools and understand uh, and run events that bring people together, uh, inviting people into our school and visiting others, those kind of things, I think. And then, you know, you, are, you and I are both on Twitter and social media, so that's a way to kind of build those global connections. Yeah. And part of the reason that I blog um, about, you know, sort of things that I do in my working life um, is because I think that, you know, if we're kind of paying it back into the into the greater sphere, that's how we start to build connections and a, a kind of common understanding of, of what's um, what's important and what how what things are happening around the world. Yeah, you you mentioned there on Twitter. I mean, one of my casual observations is that um, that there seems to be a lot of different. Um, schools of thought different lines of uh, inquiry if you like and some research um, might be held in higher esteem than than other research I'm curious as to um, maybe how you've tried to reconcile the different kinds of research and and I think maybe this goes back to the idea of you know who's doing it and for what purpose but when you present um you know, your research to your colleagues or not whether it is your research or research you've curated. Um, how, how do you find those different um, perspectives that people will inevitably bring to this discussion? Well, I think, I mean, I try and follow, you know, various people from various factions, I suppose. And I think the thing that anyone needs to understand about research, as you said earlier, is that any kind of research has limitations. 
uh, you know, there's some types of research that's considered the gold standard and, and of a better quality and more rigorous and more systematic. But there are things that all kinds of research can tell us. So it's really about um, understanding, you know, what the limitations of each kind are. So this is what it can tell us and this is what it can't tell us. Mm. So starting from there in terms of that question about what, what can this tell us and how might it be relevant, but also what is it not going to be able to tell us about uh, the work that we do? And then what can we bring to this in terms of our own practitioner experience that's going to enrich the decisions that we're making? When you um, talk about what, what, you know, what we do with the research, so you, you talk about it and you share ideas, to what extent then is there... Um, I don't know if prototyping is the right the right phrase for this, but what is the is the your, does your school provide room to play, for want of a better expression, for the teachers to try new things without um, the pressure of it getting it right first time? Absolutely, and that's what I think I was talking about earlier in terms of creating cultures. Like, what sort of culture are you creating in your school? And that's not to say that you know it's all play and and based on nothing. But we've got. Um, quite a lot of teachers at the moment exploring all kinds of things from the way that they give feedback and mark student work, the way that they're writing and feeding back on assessments, the way that they're actually, you know, grouping students in their classrooms or or teaching particular topics. And so all of those things are about then coming together and saying, you know, this is what I tried and come and see what I've done and this is what it's based on, but this worked and didn't work. And, you know, so for me, research is something that's important and often when we're doing a big strategic project I'll do as I said a kind of literature review of okay here's what is out there in terms of research but then we bring that back to okay what might we prototype or what might we try here and then what data are we going to do ourselves to figure out if that's working here how will we know that it's actually being successful for us and for our students. So is that um, you know to lend um, an idea from or borrow an idea from Dylan William where he's talking about you know we want to be try and be evidence informed rather than just solely relying on what the evidence to this point tells us absolutely i i definitely wouldn't say that anyone in education should take something that works somewhere else and say well this is the thing we're going to do um and i've been involved in you know a number of strategic projects at at my school one of which was kind of a three-year um you know teachers being coached in order to improve practice we did base that quite heavily on what um, on the research that we looked at leading into that, but then we looked at, um, okay, well, how, how are we going to know that this is working here? And that was rolled out over a long period of time. And in the end, it worked for us in lots of ways. But again, I would never have said to someone, well, here's the model, you put that in your school and it will work because we started from a particular place with particular cultures, particular language in our organisation, and we built it out of partly what the evidence was telling us from external to the school, but also what we knew about our own context. So that notion of being informed by research and evidence so that we can make the best decisions in schools, absolutely, but don't be, I think that's where, um, was it Andy Hargraves and Dennis Shirley talked about being evidence-informed, not data-driven. And that's an interesting one, particularly in schools at the moment, isn't it, around being data-driven because, you know, in the work that we do in, in schools, we, we hear that a lot. We hear that, and, and maybe not those words explicitly, but the conversations are quite clearly all about um, the data. So I'm interested, for, you know, what um, perspective could you bring or advice could you give to um, whether it's a group of um, teachers, whether it's a leadership team, whether it's a principal who's feeling the urge or perhaps even feeling the pressure 
um, to uh, you know adopt the, what the research says? What kind of um, you know what? Yeah, as I say, what advice or perspective might you bring to to help them navigate that that uh, that challenge? I think that those of us leading in schools and schools can be can anchor themselves in what they know about who they are, so the identity of the school, the values of the school, what they want for their students and their communities, and then where they are at currently, and then move forward from there based on evidence. So, you know, I think if you're valuing your position on a league table, if you're valuing, um, you know, reputation and student results perhaps over the experiences of your students and, you know, it, what is it that you are driven by? Or are you valuing, okay, we want each individual student here to have the best um, experience and learning journey is a terrible word, but, you know, experience <laughs> for them. We want each of them to progress. You know, we're, we're about, you know, the individual or the community or doing the best for our students. And that might not mean that we're going to game the system in terms of NAPLAN or tell students that year 10 that they need to leave because, you know, their results aren't going to look good for us or they need to choose a different pathway. So I think if you know your values and your identity, as a school and as a leader, then that that your kind of ethical and moral compass can drive your decisions regardless of the accountabilities placed on you and um, what it is that you're you feel that you're being expected to do. Mm. And there's some cool Australian research uh, that looks at how school leaders can resist some of those performance measures in order to do what they believe to be the right thing and the best thing for their students and their communities, which is, I think, actually really. Um, hopeful research yeah. i suppose and what what's that sort what is some of that suggesting well i think it's just suggesting that you know that while there are things that principals are and schools are expected to conform to in terms of performance and in terms of the way that they're judged externally that that doesn't mean that that needs to drive the decisions that are being made and that um i think you know in our flip the system book rebecca cody who's now principal at geelong grammar talked about um, navigating, she talked about uh, school leadership as like riding two wild horses that at the, simultaneously you can navigate the accountabilities and the expectations uh, of things like in Australia, NAPLAN and the ATAR, but also holistic education and um, the wellbeing of students and staff and uh, learning that's really about what we want for our students in a broader sense. So she talked about the fact that you can actually do both and some of the research I've read from people like Amanda Heffernan um, and Amanda Ketty is around this um, notion of, yeah, that principals can make decisions that are perhaps um, allow them to resist those things in subtle ways. You know, in some ways, I think you still have to play the game. And there are things that any data point, like external stand, high stakes standardised testing, can tell us some things. And certainly in the school that I work in, we look at that quite seriously and we say, okay, what can it tell us? How might it um, influence our decision-making? What are some of the gaps? What are the things that we can address? How can we do better for our students in this regard? So we always look at that data, but it is only one data point of many. Yeah. So with your um, building of the bridge, you know, and, you, and you're talking about it takes time and uh, there's you know, changing the culture and it just becomes what we do around here. And you actually, I know you, you said that, oh, your you, journey's an awful word. And it's one of those sound bites, isn't it? Oh, we're all on a journey. But I, 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 
I anticipate that you probably are on something of a, of a journey. You didn't just rock up one day and go, hey, I've, I've got this great idea. I'm going to put together a research report. And, and everyone went, oh, that's awesome, Deb, thanks. Like, what, what kind of things for people who would be listening to this, who, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that if people have listened this long into this interview, into this chat, then they're interested in this and they're probably starting to think, well, what could I do here? What, what were some of the first steps that you took or the, your school took? Because as I said, it's not all about you, but... Um, um, but, you know, like in, in your school, what were some of the first steps that the school took in order to make this actually more the norm that we would talk about research in a more nuanced way and we would prototype some ideas and then we'd share our learning around those things without fear of perhaps failure or fear of being judged because we didn't get it right straight away. How did you go from um, maybe perhaps, you know, pre, pre that time to actually now being in, in, the, in, in the midst of it now? I mean, I think originally there's some, there's always some kind of policy and procedures work that goes on where you think about, okay, well, what are the what are we basing these things on? So, uh, you know, if you even look at our, the artefacts, I suppose, of our school in terms of policy, we talk about trusting the capacity of our staff um, of knowing that our teachers are excellent and doing a great job and we want to help them to support them to be better both as individuals and as part of the organisation. So honouring that individual and the organisation at the same time um, and so there's kind of, I suppose it starts with that belief system and then it's around, well, how do we make decisions in this place? So from the you know, principal and the executive into the, to the classroom level, what are, and how do you then model, well, you know, these are the kinds of ways in which we look to research evidence and data first and then, but also then look at, okay, our own history, context, values and so on. So I think that then becomes part of the way that the entire school starts to make decisions from those very... Um, uh, you know, high high end kind of strategic decisions all the way to and making those transparent to staff and the process transparent and so that staff don't feel like things are just happening super fast down to um, asking teachers or giving teachers time to look at data, to collaborate together, to read research and to show that that's something that we value and it's not a an add-on, it's, it's part of practice that we're willing to provide some kind of time and support for. And things like the research report, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to say that it was a resounding success, like it's engaged with by staff, but not by 450-odd teachers. Um, and I have some really interesting corridor conversations with, you know, people from the finance department and the um, communications department and, and because it goes to the whole staff, so then we all end up kind of talking about teaching and learning. And we have um, evening, once a term, we have an evening, what we call a leadership forum, where we encourage, where we organise, whether it's a speaker or a panel or a workshop and we invite staff to come along and have some cheese and wine and, and and immerse themselves in something that's to do with leadership in schools. And that's not just the teaching staff, but the whole staff. So I guess all of that's kind of about building these um, conversations and cultures around we know what's important and we're working, we're all working at ways to better serve our students and community. And that leadership's not about the person standing at the front on the stage, but it's actually that we we're, we can all be leading one another um, in different ways as a, as a whole community. Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've spent time, obviously, you know, training to be a teacher, and then you did your uh, PhD, and you spend a lot of time uh, in the research, and, and then, but also, as you said, bridging the gap between that and the, and the practical application of it. I'm curious, and this is kind of, this could be a really tricky question, I don't know, but um, what's something that you've um, learnt which has really surprised you or something that perhaps has forced you to um, change your mind 
on something that you, uh, as I say, surprised that you've changed your mind on? I don't, I don't know if there was a like a light switch kind of moment like that where I was, I had one idea and then I, then I, then I thought something else. Um, I think it's, I'm not going to say journey again. <laughs> you just <laughs> did. You just did. <laughs> I just did. But that, I think that notion of what I do try and do is I try and read things and engage with things and with people who, who don't necessarily agree or are in the same camp as me in terms of um, whether it's the research that they align with or whether it's the kind of way that their organisation works. And so I think um, for me it's about being challenged and over time my mind has changed on a number of things. Uh, I will say in terms of my research, I probably had one of those moments where I was um, challenged at a conference by an experienced academic about who I cite Mm. in my work. Because I think as a school leader, I am I'm generally exposed to those authors that are sold by education booksellers and who come to education conferences that school leaders go to. Uh, and so then I come into the research world and and I'm I haven't read the kind of critical scholarship or people that are really challenging some of those norms that we just accept and take for granted. Mm. So if someone challenged me about why do you cite so much of this person and this person and, and you know, what about all the other stuff that's out there, I was like, well, I, I sort of thought about it and thought, well, gee, that's as a practitioner coming into the academic world, actually, I've come from a, a different place where I probably accept a lot more of the sort of norms about and expectations and almost stereotypes of leadership that school leaders are often exposed to in some of those places that we see them, whether it's in conferences or, or the books that come across our desks. And so I suppose I've been challenging myself more to look further afield for some of the things that are said about leadership outside of, of that of that space that I've that I'm so used to being in. Yeah, and I think something you mentioned there as well, like you read or you follow on Twitter perhaps people who you know probably aren't coming from things at the same from the same point of view as you and may even be diametrically opposed to you. So rather than creating an echo chamber, you you were deliberately breaking down those boundaries is that what is that what you're saying well I think I'm deliberately challenging myself um, in terms of my own thinking and therefore my own decision making and, and the evolution of my own ideas I, I guess I don't see anything as really clear-cut though so in terms of if, if there are really polarizing arguments about things in education I often am a bit more like well it depends or in between or let's you know there's this but there's also this yeah. um, so that you know, unhelpful in some of those arguments where people are are very um, on the one side of something in particular. But so that's really about challenging myself. And then I think about, well, what can I, whether it's through academic writing or book writing or blog writing or my practice or speaking at a conference, how can I share my experience in a way that might add positively to what's happening in education and what we know about educational leadership or teaching or whatever it might be. So it's sort of about being aware of what's out there questioning my own thinking and then thinking about how I might be able to contribute positively to the education space. Yeah, and that, that brings us beautifully to um, the final thing I want to talk about because I do, I do know, um, I've heard on the grapevine that you're actually busily working on a on, on, on a new book um, and I also have, have heard that, that you're devoting part of that to uh, the L word, to, to leadership. So I'm wondering, given <laughs> given that you know we could we could go into any Sorry, which L word we were going for there. For <laughs> I played it safe and went with leadership. Um, yeah, okay. I, um, 
I'm, I'm wondering that given the, as you've already alluded to, there's there's a plethora of um, people talking about leadership and there's any number of books available online in the real world, whatever. And, and yet you say, you know, you, you're constantly wondering what you will bring to the debate and contribute in it. So um, wh- why write more about leadership? Isn't there enough there already? There's, there's plenty there and, and my books are around professional learning and there's, there's plenty about that as well. Mm. Uh, but I suppose part of, part of what I'm trying to offer with what I'm writing is around being that bridge between, so my book talks about, well, here's what research tells us and here's what my, my professional experience tells us or tells me um, and might contribute. And I think the other thing in terms of leadership that isn't um, really explored enough is the notion of middle leadership and to some extent teacher leadership. So, you know, there's a lot about leadership, you know, the visionary, the heroic, the selfless, the the individualised notion of the leader rather than um, what about those in the middle in schools between the kind of executive and the the teaching um, layers, if you want to call them that, or those that are leading alongside. Um, And some of my work that started to come out of my PhD, but that I've been developing is the idea that leadership can actually be deliberately invisible or less visible or subtle or collaborative so that leaders can be quite deliberately empowering others and not putting themselves into the spotlight in order to build that sense of kind of community culture and others stepping forward so that that multiple people within an organisation are leading. And then also those ideas about, well, how do we bring together being informed by research, but also kind of being cautious and critical consumers of research um, in order to make better decisions as leaders. So I do think there's something to do there in terms of both bringing together some research about what's currently known about leadership and school leadership in particular, and then also what can a practitioner experience bring to that and, um, and how might we move forward in terms of what that looks like in our schools. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds like um, yeah, you, it absolutely would be a require, required reading. And perhaps maybe when uh, when the book comes out, we can uh, have another chat here on on the on the podcast and and maybe really dig into some of the stuff that you bring out there because that does sound um, yeah fascinating. The great thing about writing a book is that I have I could say all the things I wanted to say. <laughs> absolutely, and yeah. And and the the, t- the typeset copy's all done, so I'm just kind of waiting for them to give to to design the cover and. Um, oh, fantastic! And what have you? What's the so, title? Yeah, it's exciting. Have you, can you tell us the title? It's called, I can tell you the title. Yeah, it's all it's all available for pre-order. It's called Transformational Professional Learning: Making a Difference in Schools. Beautiful, and you just mentioned there it's available for pre-order. So I'm just wondering if anyone's listening and they think. Gee whiz, you know that that Deb sounds interesting. I need to read more of her stuff. I need to connect with her. Um, wh- where can we get the pre-order um, for the book, and where can we connect with you uh, more generally? Uh, well, it's on the Routledge website, and it's actually also on you know Book Depository, Booktopia, all those places, Amazon as well. Uh, and they've just dropped the price. I was really pleased to a more teacher-friendly uh, price than the initial one, which was probably more of an academic university bookshop uh, library kind of price. Yep. Um, Great, but yeah, so Routledge is called Transformational Professional Learning. If you know how to um, spell my last name, then yeah, we'll put um, the link in the show notes. We'll put we'll find that and we'll put the link in the show notes. People can just click below um, and and find it straight away. And yeah, so and I, my blog is called theeduflanous.com, and that's probably where I say a lot of things as well. And that's um, doesn't need any pre order whatsoever. Absolutely, and of course on Twitter. Of course, on Twitter, at Debsnet, I am on Twitter. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Deb. I'm sure uh, people listening have got a great deal out of that and their minds will be buzzing with uh, things that they can hopefully start thinking about um, in their own school context. So thank you very much for joining us.
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Cheers. If you found that conversation interesting and worthwhile, then perhaps you want to make sure you check out the uh, links in the show notes there where you can find out more about uh, Deb's work and and get your hands on uh, a copy of her new book. But also don't forget, if you found that interesting, then please do share this podcast far and wide with leaders in your network and people with interests in education and building high-performance teams. Make sure you like it, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts, and always leave a comment as well if you so desire. Also, if you would like to submit a question or perhaps make a suggestion for uh, an upcoming show, maybe could be a topic to focus on or perhaps it might even be a guest that we should get on here and have a conversation perhaps you would like to be a guest and come on and share uh, some of the work that you have been doing then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page and you can send us all your notes comments and insights there but until the next episode take care take it easy